three, two, Prepare one. For light speed. Punch it, Chewie. <laughs> Are we ready, boys? Welcome to Holocron Hoopla. Hoopla! Hoopla! The unofficial podcast of unlimited power. We're here this week with another brand new episode pulled from the depths of the Holocron to talk about the second arc of Andor. I'm joined by the Jedi historian, Andy Smith. Darth Smithius here, a connoisseur of many nerdy things, especially what I love the most, Star Wars. Can't wait to talk about this great Aldani uh, episodes four through six for Andor. Let's get to it. We are joined by everybody's favorite droid, Chris Pio. C3 Pio, human cyborg relations here. What's up, guys? Chris here, back to talk about arc two of Andor. Some pieces of the puzzle are being filled in here, and things are really ramping up. Excited to get to it. You can find me online at Apple underscore underscore Pio on Twitter, at Apple Pio on Instagram, and you can follow our socials at Hoopla Podcast Network for everything Hoopla. And you can follow Holocron Hoopla at Holocron Hoopla. That's H-O-L-O-C-R-O-N Hoopla on Instagram and Twitter. Let us know what you think about this second arc as we are about to do right now. And rounding out the crew, we have a last minute addition, a mysterious new bounty hunter. <laughs> Make sure you get your people. You gotta you gotta take them down. You gotta capture your bounties. Get your credits here. Hey, Jake Laxer here, <laughs> lover of all things TV and movies. Um, yeah, Carnival Andy Bounty M- Hunter. <laughs> hey, hey. Don't hate, right up. Don't collect hate. your bounties here. Hey, hey, don't hate the player, hate the game. Andy mentioned previously <laughs> that uh, he was excited to review Aldani. I am also excited to review The Axe Forgets and The Eye. Those are also two episodes in this arc. And boy, am I excited to talk about this exhilarating series of episodes. Exhilarating indeed. Everything really did ramp up for this second arc of the show. Uh, as we catch up with Andor as he and Luthen. We're just diving straight into it, by the way, boys. We're just diving in Get as in. we catch up with Cassian. Jumping a light speed. And Luthen as Luthen has now, is working to convince Cassian to join this little heist that he's got going on on the planet of Aldani. Sorry, convince, convince who? Um, Clem, sorry. There we go. You need oh, a code name if you're going on covert yes, operations. Yes, gotta have a code name. <laughs> Andor is no more. We're watching the TV show. Clem. Uh, <laughs> so I have a question for the Jedi historian real quick. This planet Aldani, is this entirely new to you, or has there been other Star Wars events that have happened here? So, from the main storylines, I don't recognize Aldani. It does seem Tony Gilroy, the the showrunner, he has introduced a good number of a new uh, Star Wars world, so I wouldn't be surprised. But there, there's so many comics and books that there may be small references here and there. Uh, but in terms of like major events. Aldani is kind of a new place for us to explore, um, which lends itself that, very well to the eye. Bingo. You, your last sentence brought that all together. I think that lends itself very nicely to Andor as a series because, mm-hmm. again, we talked last week about the Empire's ruling with an iron fist and, and the breadth of their operation to bring in a new planet with its own cultures and to understand that something has already happened in the past here 
is a it's a good decision. It's a, a bit of a bold decision to just drop a new planet on us. But I'll be honest, I'm tired of visiting Tatooine. Yeah. As great of a planet as it is, this is something new. This Jakku. Is, uh, we always I'll, go back I'll, to what? Jakku. <laughs> exactly. But Tatooine yeah, so. has two suns. How can you not want to go there? You can get a tan from multiple directions. As great. Yeah, as but it's harder stories. to do a heist if there's two suns. It's always going to be bright outside. You got to be able to do this in the deep, deep dark night. Thank. God, they chose a different planet. Chris, I, I 100% agree <laughs> with that statement. You know, we need to expand the Star Wars universe, not always go back to the same Skywalker saga yeah. type locations. Uh, and I think, you know, once again, Tony Gilroy, that's one of my favorite things about him. He's introducing new things to a galaxy far, far away that not just locations and creatures but also just thematically with like the darkness that we were talking about in last episode. Sure. One thing that I thought was kind of cool in regard to the writing aspect, um, Tony Gilroy worked with Dan Gilroy. I'm assuming that's brother. his brother. On uh, Yeah, that's pretty sweet. You know, Star Wars is all about family. If there's one thing <laughs> we true. learned about Star Wars, it is all about family. And it ties all the way to Lucasfilm. So just like throwing that little nugget in there. Yeah, I think they did a great job writing this this arc here. I was super excited to get into this heist story. I personally just love getting a good heist. We've had a couple of these little heist type things in some of the other Star Wars properties so far, yeah. but I think this one might be my favorite. Getting, and this fun little group that we get to meet up. Uh, let's talk about some of these new characters that we met with Vel, the leader. Um, Steve, I don't know if I call them a fun little group. They're they're all kind of on edge when we get into Nemec is fun. <laughs> Nemec is my favorite character in Star Wars for a long time. How about that one? <laughs> wow. They're really? an intriguing group. Intriguing, yes. I, I guess to give them some credit, they are about to go on a major heist, as, as Jamie mentioned. But yeah, when we meet some of these characters, first meeting Vel uh, through the introduction through Luthen. Vel's a great character. Uh, right away, though, she's kind of ticked off that she had to hike what was it? It was like a three was days like journey days. or something. I got to fact check that. But uh, and, and you immediately understand the appearance of, of discretion on this new operation. And Clem's just kind of thrown into the mix on this. And Bell is not a fan of that. And definitely not are the other characters that we're introduced to as well. So uh, we have Vel. The leader of this group, who is honestly put in a kind of difficult situation by Luthen, who is, I guess, the mastermind of the whole operation. The professor. Inserting Clem at the last second. Professor. He inserts this new variable at the last second, which kind of throws Vale's leadership into question, which we get some interesting yeah. interactions with the other characters as Skeen and Terramin kind of start to question her if she's going about this the right way. Uh, we also have Nemec who is this younger kid, very enthusiastic about this heist and taking down the Empire. We have Cinta, who we didn't really learn too much about Cinta. Maybe we can go into a little bit more about her a little bit here. And then we have the double agent on the inside, Lieutenant Gorn, mm. who is secretly helping out this heist as they try to infiltrate and steal a whole bunch of money from the bad guys. Was it Lieutenant or Lieutenant Colonel? I don't know the difference. I think it's Lieutenant. Okay, Mr. Air Force, we get it. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> recognizing I, the, rank. The, well, I, I want to call to rank because that's a significant difference in military hierarchy. <laughs> I mean, that means this guy has been committed to the, to the rebellion for a very long period of time, and he's been 
clandestine for years. It's not just been something that he's just like, you know, committed himself for maybe half a decade. This is something he's been in for his life. So I think that does make it a little bit of a difference. That's fair. Yeah. And that's my two credits. Imperial. You said rebellion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, rebellion. He's for the rebellion, like acting and serving as an Imperial officer. Whatever the rank for Lieutenant Gorn here, <laughs> Gorn is a great character, and and Sule Rimi is is playing uh, another two faced character, which I really appreciated Gorn as far as meeting the new characters in this new arc, probably the most here, uh, because again, Rimi's doing an excellent job playing both sides. You can tell that the struggle, and and I, by the way, I, was this seven years? I think that he he was the one stationed there for seven years. Mm, is that accurate? Right. Yeah. Yeah, seven years. So he's been here a while. So to to answer Jake's question about the commitment, you know, to the Empire, it's something where this actor, Sule Rimi, has played both sides. And we saw this kind of in our previous season there with uh, Hal Brand and Charlie Vickers having to play a a two-faced character here. This one's a little more obvious because there's no secret, there's no dramatic irony for the audience. But Gorn's a great character because we get that balance between the rebels and the actual imperial rank and file, the the whole, you know, did you fill out subsection form C, rule 14, subpart A, uh, with a classification appendix, you know, 5D. I mean, that's just what the empire is and how we yeah, know them. There. Yeah, and you, all got, you always got to <laughs> fill out your appendix 5D. Um, but yeah, it's, the worst. It's, it's, it's a great character to get introduced. And then, of course, Gorn goes back to his duties while Clem... And the rest of the camp get prepared for the actual raid. But I think Gorn stuck out to me because... Oh no, we lost him. Why did Gorn stick out to you? Why did he stick out? Did he he stick out because he was cool? This is so unfortunate. He's pretty cool. He stuck out because he was cool, man. Oh, someone infiltrated Chris's house and unplugged his system. (laughs) Looks like we're going to have to insert the droid noises again. (laughs) The thing that I was most impressed by with Gorn was, and I guess maybe it was all of just the planning that went into setting up this heist as a whole, but Gorn did such a good job. My dog's barking. What a disaster. <laughs> Your hound? Luckily, we can cut this entire section. I kind of like it. Okay. I'll take over for Gorn. Don't you worry. Okay. You are Gorn. <laughs> I am. I am the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is currently down to two, and Darth Smithius and I are. We'll take it. We'll take it from all. here. Yeah, we got. We so, got what this. do you think about when uh, Obi Wan had the high ground? Hey, don't worry, I'm back. <laughs> oh, we now we're three. You know, honestly, Anakin shouldn't have tried it. There's, I don't know why he tried it, but he decided uh, to go for it. Yeah, but that was just. A, <laughs> what was he trying to do? How many feet was he trying to jump comparatively to his height uh, to Obi Wan at that time? Like. It was just, it, it was never going to work from a geometric perspective. He forced the, the issue. The podcast is falling apart. No, this is We fun. are getting too much hoopla going on in this episode. General, General Grievous. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Tying us back. Uh, Lieutenant Gorn, played by Sewell Remy. Got to shout out the actor's name. <laughs> we already shouted it Dude, out. I literally just spent like 30 seconds talking about oh, it. Oh, Chris, you're back? <laughs> He's back. Okay. Chris, All you right. missed a disaster. <laughs> No, it was a masterpiece, but please proceed, Chris. What do you like about Gorn? No, I heard all of, I First of all, did you not hear all of my bit about Gorn? We no, heard the out. Appendix D, and then you stopped talking. Oh, well, yeah. I said some great stuff about Lieutenant Gorn and the actor, Sule Remy. 
he was my most favorite character upon meeting them in this arc. But there's some other characters there, certainly, that we need to pay good attention to. Well, for all of these characters, and we can go individually one-to-one and talk a little bit more about them, what I liked in the first and kind of second episode is starting to slowly get to know each of them individually by their dialogue with the other characters. So as Skeen talks to Nemec, you learn a little bit more about uh, about them. You learn a little bit about Cinta when she's discussing kind of when she's healing Andor. Like there's these just small moments right. in these first two episodes that just kind of explore their backstory, which I think was interesting. It wasn't, yeah. once again, this series doesn't just do exposition dumps. They tell the story through these smaller moments. And then those build up to then these grand cinematic pieces, which was that final six episode in the the heist. Um, there was just yeah. almost a consistent kind of build up, build up, build up. And then if they did not work well in that final episode, this arc wouldn't have worked, but it did. It was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I think they did a great, like, like we said in, in the previous episode, it was a slow burn. The first two episodes were really building everything up. And I do have to admit something here on the podcast. I don't know how to watch TV correctly. So I watched episode four and then I watched episode six. Oh no. And then <laughs> oh, my only God. then did I realize I missed the most important episode of the season where we got to get all that character development. So oh, spoiler alert, hurts. but in episode six, we see some of these characters <laughs> die. So... And I, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's sad. They died, but I didn't really care about these characters too much. And then I go back and watch episode five. That's actually, that's a horrible thing to happen. And then, you took the second act it out of a that's movie. a significant impact. Yeah. I know. I, that's sad. But then I went back and watched episode five. You literally jumped from a new hope to the return of the Jedi. <laughs> that puts some perspective. So I was very confused, but when I did finally get to see those character interactions that Andy was just talking about, I got to actually feel how important these characters were in each other's lives in developing the character of Andor and his new perspective on this rebellion, specifically Nemec, who has this like manifesto that he's been writing and ends up giving to Andor at the very end. Two of my favorite characters from this entire heist are going to be Karis Nemec and Tamron uh, Barcona. Tamron is pretty interesting because we learned that Terramin. he previously served as a storm. Ter- excuse me. Terramin. Thank you, Chris. So well. C3PIO on the floor. Just translating. How many languages? <laughs> how many Human languages? Do you relations? Yeah, tell us how many languages. Over six million. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> what a droid. Um, anyhow, so Terramin, we learned that he used to be a stormtrooper in a past life, um, and he understands the capabilities of the Empire and has to serve as a almost like a secondary leader uh, to this whole operation. And so he gives insight to Andor as the whole, you know, planning process sort of unfolds. Um, does Gershwin uh, Ustache does a great job of, of portraying that role. But got a shout out to Alex uh, Lothar. This is an actor who was in a kind of famous show in, on Netflix, The End of the World. We'll hoopla that. Oh, that's him? <laughs> um a very sophisticated actor and I really appreciated them bringing him on board because he, he does provide a very intriguing essence to shows and he, he almost served as a very meta, almost philosophical character for taking a perspective on 
on this whole execution of this plan. So I really enjoyed the two of them. It was fun to see them interact with the whole team. And uh, yeah, I think the whole buildup, which you missed, Jim, uh, it really added to the whole heist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I went back and watched it and it really did build up to what I had already seen. So the order was wrong, but the end result was perfect. Something I really enjoyed about what they did with the characters here, and specifically Nemec, like you mentioned, Jake, they're waiting, they're biding their time and their training, of course, but they're not just waiting to wait. They're waiting and they're, they're fiddling with old Imperial technology. Oh, cool. They're trying to conserve rations and conserve healing kits. And I mean, this is a survival, certainly, but when, you, when we see Nemec and he's writing his manifesto and, and thinking, oh, about the future, oh, what's going to happen? Well, first of all, I mean, come on. We kind of knew that he was going to kick the bucket, right? Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, yeah. but uh, all we that manifesto writing. We, we exactly. knew that sad moment was going to hit us. We just didn't know how. And then I, we thought. You can't have a positive attitude like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jamie didn't know yeah. because he didn't watch the episode. But, um, <laughs> but also, I didn't care. True. I was like, but who is this guy? Oh, no, we got crushed. Whatever. <laughs> the, the plot strikes back. <laughs> <laughs> to expand on everything we've said so far about these character relationships, it is. It, it's character relationships. And one of the best things I think worked here for the showrunners during this three-episode arc was the distrust that they had of, of Clem, of mm -hmm, Andor. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just shoehorned in. It yes. wasn't just distrust to be distrust. Oh, there's a stranger. Oh, I, now I have to distrust Vel because she's just inputting someone at the last minute. It wasn't just that distrust. It was the things that Diego Luna and the character Andor did to hide that crystal, to be careful about the weapons that uh, that all of them were already going through anyways, and they knew they were going to do that. So there are reasons that this character is distrusted because this was a difficult thing to write in because we just got three episodes about Andor, about knowing that he is fighting for something, fighting for the people he loves and trying to protect them. Whereas this camp of people that's been working on this plan for months has no idea that he has any good bones in his body. So they did a really good job of balancing that. And these character stories are really what's important here. Yeah. And, you know, kind of tying off of what you said, Chris, it, it is a great plot device and sort of scheme that the writers did for this show in terms of that distrust. Because honestly, the team shouldn't trust Andor. Why? You know, bringing in a, a team member yeah. at the last second three days prior to this huge operation is a major flaw in any plan. Um, and they have to trust him. And he honestly earns his place amongst the team once he discusses how this vessel transports out of the vault. Um, I think that's sort of the turning yeah. point in their, in their what, trust. So, that was a great um, scene. You don't even know how to get it in the air? <laughs> <laughs> Diego Luna it's just brilliant it. what I thought was so interesting was why did Luthen so Luthen told Vel at the beginning of the episode you either have to have him on board or you're calling this off yeah like what was the moment they've been planning this for months it sounded like they've been at least at the camp for what three months or so Mm -hmm. you know they've been five I think meticulously going and right. you know Nemec building his uh dam structure like the the model they go yeah. they've been going through <laughs> you know getting ready right w what was the moment that they needed andor like why did they need andor at that moment what did luthan see that the others didn't see or it sounds like maybe the others did realize maybe we are a man down but it's three days before this actual heist we've been planning for months and months 
what was it do you think about Andor that got Luthen to put himself out there on the ledge, go to Ferrix to bring them, him to that Aldani heist? Wild card. I think... Oh, go for it, Chris. No, I, that's all I had to say for that particular comment was just wild card. E- echoing always sunny. Love sunny. <laughs> but... For me, I think it's a combination of sort of the reputation he's built for himself, right? He's Andor's been able to acquire mm-hmm. things that others haven't been able to, right? Yeah. He has this Stargate unit that is apparently very illegal to possess, mm-hmm. and he somehow has acquired it in his existence, and he has an entire sector looking for him. So I think in that, he's earned his credibility in terms of someone who would be an added benefit to an operation as such but in terms of being last minute i maybe it wasn't necessarily cassian that they were looking for but maybe a wild card at the last second that would have been able to complete the picture or add the last piece to the puzzle like chris was alluding to well and then terraman uh right upon vel bringing cassian to the group he obviously was saying you can't do this three days before the the heist begins but at the same time she said you told me that we're down a man and we need him. And he kind of stood back and he, he accepted it, which actually once again shows kind of the leadership quality of Vel. Once again, these small moments between these, these individual characters, you mm-hmm. immediately saw that, oh, Vel is very, like, she is the leader of this group. While Terramin also mm-hmm. has his leadership qualities. He's the military person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that even before you understand that he's actually previously a stormtrooper. Yeah, I thought it was really cool how they got into kind of Vel's, uh, I don't know exactly how to, how to describe what I'm thinking, but like, she's obviously the leader and she's, she has some struggles to like maintain her authority over this group because they're all these rebels mm-hmm. kind of fighting for the same cause, but not necessarily under one leader. Vel's trying her best to be that leader. And then they show a really like human side to her in episode six when she and Cinta are getting ready to initiate the start of the plan. Like they're sitting on top of this dam, getting ready to jump off. And there's right. a, a long moment there, a beautiful scene between Cinta and Vel, where Vel is, you know, having second thoughts maybe, or she's mm-hmm. just trying to work up the courage to actually do this heist. To That scene hung yeah. forever. Put herself into this situation to put everyone she's been working with into extreme danger and you could just see mm-hmm. she knew someone would die right. she knew they would right. die so you could see the turmoil um, in her mind about getting this going you know it, it's not too late they could turn back now if they wanted to I guess but we see her right. finally make the leap off the dam that was a beautiful scene yeah and I, I think that speaks to her character as a leader um, you know a leader doesn't have to have all the answers but they have to know the right balance of leadership and followership and she definitely embodies both of those roles very carefully um, and she does so in a very uh, strategic manner um, and with her having this point of vulnerability that you were discussing Jim I think that just adds all the more to why you know she was placed in charge of this team is because she knows that there are risks there are high second third order effects that can result from this and she's willing to take the leap of faith quite literally <laughs> so I, I know that we, we probably have to move on from some of these characters because there's others we have to touch on but one thing i did want to kind of re-highlight is 
really a theme over this arc was different rebels come to the rebellion in their own ways, right? Like you have mm-hmm. Lieutenant Gorn who fell in love with one of the Aldani people. She was taken from him. He no longer has trust for the Empire. You have an ex-stormtrooper, which is something that I haven't heard about in the original trilogy with in that kind of time period, stormtroopers actually leaving the Empire. You hear about that yeah. kind of with the First Order, obviously with Finn's storyline. But this is a little bit different. Right. You have Cinta who learned about this ex-stormtrooper, and Cinta's family was killed by stormtroopers. They're all coming to the rebellion in their own way. You have Nemec, who's just this right. philosophical like lover of the cause. And then you have the mercenary turned future rebel, which is just, once again, it kind of puts it all together. But one thing I did want to mention is one of the most interesting parts of this arc was Skeen. And absolutely learning him for last learning about his kind of storyline with his brother well first of all his disdain for andor kind of learning about him and maybe he was just scoping him out as a potential partner and then him coming up with his storyline with his brother killing himself after the empire took him down in the end that wasn't even true that was just his backstory for his plot what an interesting person to put into this this storyline let's go round table here i'll be honest i was not expecting that twist uh when skeen started talking after the after the heist and and after you know everything went about as well as maybe it could have gone when they got the credits and got the heck out of dodge but i did not see that twist coming how about you jamie of course I didn't see it coming. I didn't see episode five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I didn't do that's, that on purpose. That's I honestly, the, that is <laughs> oh, actually the worst part. You hate to see it. <laughs> I just oh, wanted to cut it. You know, I was bantering. Just sad. I was just, I was doing a bit. <laughs> I honestly didn't think about that. Well, fine. We'll ask Jake then. <laughs> Are you referring to how Cassian shot? Yeah, the skein twist. The skein is actually evil. And then, of course, the execution, yeah. I don't know if that murder, I'm going to call it a murder. Uh, <laughs> it is. <was> specific. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm going to say homicide. I don't know if that homicide was earned, quite honestly. I mean, yeah, the guy had his own intentions, and I think each one of those you know, pieces of the team has their own sort of outlook on how this whole thing is supposed to go, but I don't know if that, that earned an execution for the guy. I mean... Uh, it caught me off guard. If that's what you're looking for. I mean, as soon as you start talking about, yeah, yeah. as soon as <laughs> he mentions the idea of backstabbing mm. anybody in the crew, I mean, that just puts Andor in danger immediately. Just the yeah. fact that Skeen has that thought for a second, Andor's life is in Skeen's hand unless he does something about it. So there are a right. whole bunch of rebels doing rebel things. And if one of them's going to backstab, you got to get rid of them. Well, I'm just disappointed that Cassian didn't headbutt the guy. I was, I was hoping we'd continue <laughs> that trend of him just murdering. You want to rack up those headbutt numbers? Yeah, exactly. Rack them and stack them. Chris, I, I would say I did not. I mean, honestly, I should have based on this character. He's such a good villain. Just the actor yeah. himself in that moment. Right. But no, I didn't expect him to for that twist solely because we've already gone through an arc between him and Cassian 
of him apologizing by talking about his family, like the reason that he came to the Empire. And I thought that that was the whole purpose of this band of rebels. It's like, this is who I am. This is why I'm here and why we're putting our lives on the line. So when he actually turned and his reason was actually because he wanted those 40 million credits, that was that hurt. (laughs) And then you saw it. You (laughs) saw it on Diego Luna's face. He immediately kind of came back a little bit and then shot him dead because immediately shocked about the twist ending. That's for sure. Immediately. It was almost like especially because the relationship between Skeen and Nemec and at the same time that Nemec is dying is the same time that Skeen is talking about getting the money and running like I think that might have like Andor truly has a relationship with Nemec at this point and sure. Right, an emotional attachment. Correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but Skeen was the one who convinced them to take Nemec to the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Vel was maybe getting ready to just move on and let Nemec die on the ship, but point. Skeen was the one who fought for him to go to the doctor, right? But maybe, I, I just, I can't get past mm. the fact that maybe that was part of his plan, it was his you know? Plan, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll get all distracted Ooh. with Nemec, we'll Distract try to save him. him but... Oh, so I, I'm, I'm not sure. He knew them out of parsecs. That is interesting. He knew them out of parsecs. Uh, hey, I'm going to cue the hot take music for you, Chris, because that was really nice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, obviously, yeah, we do lose a couple of the key characters here during the heist, which is a very cool sequence. I mean, as far as action sequences go, we, we've seen you know, infiltration, we've seen, oh yeah, we've got this security clearance from the Empire, so we're going to be able to do this one plan. We've never seen a full-on, like, this is a plan, this is an infiltration, this is a heist. So we got this heist movie, which was cool. Um, The action sequences were obviously great. I mean, the production and, and as far as the staging goes were very cool. I thought the eye, both as a viewer and as a literary plot device for the characters, was just an exceptional addition. It goes back to that. It was. It, it, to, it goes back to that Tony Gilroy of you know creating a new world, but also making sure to understand the cultural significance of that world within the Star Wars universe. So to, to be able to balance mm-hmm. that and then also give us the visual productions at the very end with the eye, I mean, just so cool. One of the coolest sequences and and that we've seen in a Star Wars show so far. The visuals were amazing. I want to see the eye in real life. I don't think you'll be able to do that. <laughs> it's like the northern lights on roids. <laughs> Are we going to that in? I, 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 I thought it was funny. Can we just say roids? I don't, I don't know. Of course um, we can say roids. We'll, we'll feel it out. Um, the eye also serves as a, as a humid element because I, one of my favorite little hints in the show was some of the lower ranking officers, you know, the grunts that are just supposed to be on duty. They don't want to be stationed inside during the night of the eye. I, I thought that's again, it's just that's that human element that you don't get the feeling of the original empire, what we saw in the original trilogy. Oh, they're just they're following orders. They're led by Darth Vader, a Sith Lord. They're they're going to follow orders because they're if they're not, they're going to be mind controlled into doing it. But we're not completely brainwashed yet as far as you know the whole plan for for everything going through with the sith so uh, this is this human element and that everyone wants to see the eye it's a, it's something you can't miss so I, I really liked that that dynamic where we had these grunt workers 
living this life and, and, you know, they're expecting their pay and credits and they're protecting this thing, but they're not really sure why. The plans are much bigger than this and coming down from on high. But yeah, the whole sequence was so cool. Speaking of uh, coming down on high, uh, there's some politics we have to discuss on the other side of this, don't we? Oh, we certainly do. Before we do that, though, we need to talk about this commander. The commander in episode three of the Imperials and the engineer and it that I think is a main thing that we have to discuss real quick because it shows the Imperial kind of uh, I don't even know what I was going to say, but let's talk about that real quick. I'll speak about him. I'm happy to. Go for it. Uh, So Stanley Townsend, who plays Commandant Bihas, uh, does an excellent job of embodying that superior role that you would see in the military. He has to try and convey this commanding sort of authoritative leadership uh, that would be fitting for the Empire, but does a great job of, you know, succumbing to robbers or, you know, criminals that would be uh, infiltrating your unit or your stationing if you will and he falls victim to that and he doesn't really have a choice but to go along with it and i think he does a really good job in portraying that i I thought he was an interesting character because as this cultural event as chris kind of alluded to with the eye these these aldani people are coming in for this almost spiritual event he's kind of showing off his his station to this engineer but he's such a like a classic imperial that has uh, even his wife said oh you've expanded like he can't put on his belt because he's just been sitting on kind of the graves of these aldani people that he's pushed yeah. out and you know a classic kind of he's an elite versus people around him um he's very smug and i just thought his end was very fitting but just a great representation of the empire as a whole just getting rich Mm -hmm. off of people's misery and i i I enjoyed that character did he die of a heart attack i use the term smug am i remembering that correctly he just he just died in the middle of that battle not getting shot or anything just at least it wasn't of sadness (laughs) at least it wasn't because he was sad he was just too tired from lugging all them heavy monies that's a good good callback jakey speaking of money Someone's trying to acquire more money for the rebellion, but secretly, Whoa. and that is Mon Mothma, oh. an excellently oh. introduced character here. How about that transition from the C three Pio? Yeah, that was very nice. Great. Wait, are great we transitioning? Uh, C three Pio. <laughs> We're transitioning. Oh wait, everyone, go back. <laughs> All right. Well, I tried. You guys talk about. No, 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 no. You nailed it. No, We're that was good. Um, yeah, so, so uh, Chris, can you give us a little bit of background <laughs> onto this Mon Moth? Mon Mothma, that's Mon right. Mothma. Mon Mothma character, <laughs> Senator. Mon Mothma. I wanted to say Mothra, but that's a monster. That is a different universe, which <laughs> we Godzilla. could talk about. Uh, Mon Mothma is a character that we've seen before in the original trilogy, in a number of, of properties, certainly, but most importantly, introduced as sort of the rebel leader. I don't know if we ever get a, like official title, rebel commander, perhaps, uh, but. She's an important figurehead for the Rebellion, and we see why, as Genevieve O'Reilly portrays in this Andor show. What a cool way to introduce a character as, you know, this... We know that the prequel trilogies, episodes 1, 2, and 3 of that Skywalker Sagwa, 
a lot of people were saying, oh, it's all politics. Oh, the Trade Federation. Oh, the hyperspace routes. Well, that's, I mean, that's what stories are. As much as you don't want to get into it, politics are certainly part of that. And, and Mon Mothma is, is a part of that as well. Uh, she's a senator and she's trying to secretly gain a lot of support for a rebellion. And I don't think that in this universe, in this show, she really knows what that's going to mean just yet. She's sort of trying to just gauge interest amongst other political figureheads and say, oh yeah, well, we don't really like what's going on in the Senate here. What can we do about that? But this whole ritzy, glamorous lifestyle of a senator, it's really cool to see Genevieve O'Reilly portray a character who we eventually know is going to be roughing it, is going to be a rebel commander and, and going to be someone who doesn't have this lifestyle for much longer in terms of the Star Wars universe. But for right now, this whole Coruscant business with the Senate politics and everything is a really interesting way to introduce a character who we technically already know. But I, I really enjoyed Genevieve O'Reilly's portrayal here and, and all of the Coruscant business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, like I said in my uh, closing remarks of our last episode, I love that they're intertwining politics into this show. And she was such a perfect casting for this character. Oh, yeah. And we even go to see... She is so elusive to the point where she won't even say certain things around her husband. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting dynamic. You know, that goes to show how high the stakes are in this situation. Um, even she recognizes that the driver has mm -hmm. changed for her going to visit Luthen. And so she now has to act like she's purchasing artifacts. And then Luthen goes into the back and then decodes what they were trying to actually discuss. And, you know, it's... It's a very intriguing sort of perspective, and it adds just a lot to the whole Star Wars story. So one thing that I thought was very interesting about Mon Mothma and, and her introduction, she immediately, I think maybe in the, the second episode we see her in, she's presenting to the Senate in that beautiful Senate hall from Revenge of the Sith and, and the prequel trilogy, Ooh, yeah, uh, which I yeah. love that they reintroduced Coruscant mm -hmm. in that way. Um you can clearly see that she's been in the Senate for a long time. I think she's tried. What, what do you guys think about this? I think she's tried to do things the right way in the Senate over time, but it's just yes. failed her. And to the point where we have to do things a different way. But her front is still out mm -hmm. in front talking about. I think they, they talked about right. this Gorman race as being uh, there's a blockade and these people are starving, but no one cares. And she she's putting out a bill to try and solve that issue, but no one's listening. Right. So she keeps she's been trying right. to do this over and over again, but it doesn't it doesn't work. So there's another way. And it's through Luthen, it's through the rebellion, it's through funding these people. And she's that political leader that eventually will come out as the rebel kind of leader here. But once again, you were talking about Para and her husband. They're so disconnected. And it, I'm interested to see how that progresses and, and what their relationship and with her daughter, her daughter seems very much disconnected. Like, yes. how does that play into it? it? It's not just this classic like, oh, here's a political leader that's going against others. The familial kind of disputes that are happening in the show are, are really interesting and are, are played on in, in different ways than I have seen before in other properties. That's a really great point, Andrew, and, and it comes to mind, all the storylines here are, are kind of familial-based. I mean, we've got Deidre and, and Cyril who are, you know, kind of seeking approval from different 
regards Deidre within the ISB and, and mm-hmm. seeking approval from up on high. Cyril trying to get approval from his mother while trying to find a job, which is just <laughs> a really interesting kind of side story. And obviously we'll have yeah. a, a later implication later on, but that's a funny little side story we haven't commented on yet. But we've got a new family <laughs> with, with Clem and, and all of his cohorts. And, and then, of course, yeah, you're exactly right. Even Mon Mothma who is this, again, really important character in Star Wars lore, has a daughter that is at that age where she's just so difficult. Uh, (laughs) I've never raised a child myself, so I can't necessarily relate, but they always say, oh, that she's just at that age. Oh, she wants her first cell phone. She's going to get her license soon and fly around those hover cars. Uh, So it really is rooted in family. A lot of these storylines are. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Cyril. And his mom. Those scenes were so funny (laughs) to just see how far he has fallen so quickly. And he's just like this fully defeated. He's just like back to being a little boy having dinner with his mom. And he's just sad. He sees no future for himself. And he's just like, shut up, mom. You know one way that they visually, (laughs) one very interesting way that they visually depicted that was... I think in the second episode in the arc, the very opening scene is Cyril in his room and he's looking out his window. He's very low down in Coruscant. And that's always played a major theme of like the lower you are in Coruscant, the probably lower part of the class you are in Coruscant. You're not at the top. And he kind of sees a, the sun come out over top these massive skyscrapers and he sees it for a moment and right. then it goes away. Because he's fallen yep. so far, and he's so down the, the totem pole at this point. Uh, just a small, interesting cinematic cue. Yeah, and uh, now that we're on the topic of Cyril, you mentioned last episode, Andy, did we get any blue milk? Hey, we got yes, some blue milk this blue time. Milk. <laughs> we, blue, blue, blue milk, milk with the and cereal, cereal, cereal. yeah. <laughs> shout out to blue uh, that milk was, watch. that was good i'm glad we got that checkbox yeah yeah blue, blue milk watch but blue milk watch <laughs> blue milk watch hashtag blue milk watch uh we did see at the end of the first arc that you know the whole primo security that cyril was working for failed their mission to capture cassian andor and now we get introduced to the i guess higher ranking security organization Andy, can you tell us a little bit about the ISB? Yeah, so the ISB is essentially the Empire's CIA. It's an Imperial mm-hmm. Security Bureau that actually has played a major role in a lot of different storylines throughout Star Wars, not on the screen. So um, as an example, after the Empire fell, the ISB was almost like the ruling organization of Coruscant for many, many years. They've had their hands in different areas. And when I saw the ISB come on on screen, I got so excited because this is an organization that is very cruel, but very effective and just an interesting one to watch as we go through these various arcs. And it's really represented well immediately by, I think, I think his name's Major Partagaz, who was actually in Game of Thrones, (laughs) uh, the first series. Oh, he was. Um, Good call. He Good talks call. about, he's like, we're not the Imperial Navy. We're healthcare workers. We root out sickness. We look at symptoms from within and from external, and we go and kill that. Uh, and it's just an interesting way to introduce kind of this CIA-like organization. Yeah, and I, I love the, the struggle for power within the ISB. 
Uh, it's fun to sort of see Deidre challenge the norm, if you will. And she is unbelievably intelligent and is just trying to make sure that the Empire has the best shot at crushing this insurgency against the Empire. And she's she's an incredible character. I really do like Deidre. She's she's absolutely awesome. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm excited to see where everything goes with her now that she's putting together these random events that have happened in far off places within the galaxy that are too random to be random. They have to be connected. So it's going to be it's going to be cool to see how she kind of goes about her detective work, putting together all these different things that the rebellion is this uprising that the rebellion is starting. And I honestly don't know quite as much about ISB as the rest of the Hoopla Hoopla do, because I am a, a bit of a Star Wars fraud, I suppose. But I am very excited to be getting into all these deeper what? parts. Expose him. No, only a Padawan learner. Yes, that's. Yeah. There we go. That's more optimistic. I appreciate this that. This is the way. Um, but I'm really enjoying getting deeper into this whole Star Wars universe and learning about these organizations that I, we haven't seen before in the movies. So I'm, I'm really excited for what we have so far. I'm hoping, I am hoping that somehow in season two, the ISB works with Commander Orson Krennic. Whoa. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Oh Your my gosh, music. that would be so cool. I'm very cool. excited for that. That would be absolutely incredible if they brought him on board. He has the same uniform as the ISB uh, militants, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think, I'm just saying it's possible. I think as new and exciting as, as this Andor world is, some of the new planets, the new characters, I feel that they've earned you know a cameo like that that yeah. might be coming up soon and an important character of this time period. So well, perhaps we'll see it. Chris, I, I actually have a question for you. Hit me. Do you expect Deidre to be like a main, the main character through the entirety, like maybe maybe the major villain over the entirety of mm. the series? Or is she going to be one that dies early? What do you think is going to happen with that character? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And, and I think now that we've had one or two twists in the show, I think we're all kind of waiting for what's the big one that we're, we're going to talk about, the Hallmark twist. I, I don't think it's Deidre. I, I think Deidre is pretty committed to the Empire. She's, you know, trying to get ahead. I mean, she's playing with fire, obviously butting heads with Blevin on, on the other side of the table, right. both metaphorically and also legitimately on the other side of their meeting table. <laughs> I love but, that. I love that little hall. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I have a note here in my notes that says Imperial Command is just fun to listen to. And it is. I mean, that dialogue is, is certainly fun. And uh, I, I don't think Deirdre is going to end her arc early. I think we're going to see her throughout yeah, next season as well. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to say one thing about the ISB real quick. Chris, you mentioned the, the table. Visually, it looks very similar to A New Hope. When Tarkin and Vader Absolutely. walk in and you see the circular table of all these Imperial oh, officers yes. and it immediately just harkens yes. back to that kind of moment of when you were really introduced to the Empire for the first time and kind of that just makes kind of a, a connection. And I, I'm just interested to see who else they introduce into that table because I feel like there's going to be some some cool things coming. Great. Yeah, point. I'm excited to see where everything goes with this new antagonistic force up against our main guy clem this was a great arc the second arc of andor i think 
took everything to the next level. Let's go around to close out the episode. Let's get some final thoughts on this arc and give it a classic hoopla rating from 1 to Order 66. We'll start with Andy this week. Well, Jamie, I mean, I talked about how much I loved the buildup of this arc, uh, more so than I think the first arc here. Just the first two episodes, getting to know those characters and then having all of their individual moments pay off in the third episode was just perfect. Like In some ways, I would have just enjoyed this as a standalone movie of kind of these rebel bands getting together and learning about each other and then going against the Empire. And then from a the political perspective, like Mon Mothma is one of the most interesting characters from the original trilogy. She wasn't on screen very much. She's been a lot more in like books and comics. And the way that Genevieve O'Reilly portrays her is very cool. Once again, also Luthen is awesome. Luthen's kind of all of his different like things that he's selling in his shop and in the back he's he's leading the rebellion is such an interesting way to go about that. I'm going to say I'm going to give this a 53 out of 66. Hoopla. Hoopla. Big numbers coming in. I love it. What about you, Jake? What do you think about arc number two? Arc number two is how we're going to do. <laughs> it crushed it. I absolutely love this arc. I was intrigued from start to finish. I loved one thing we didn't talk about that I was going to mention. This is the first time we see from a grounded sort of civilian perspective how intimidating the tie oh, fighters yes. actually are yeah i loved i cool. loved how terrifying those fighters seemed from the ground level which was you know just exciting to see as a star mm -hmm. wars fan that was incredible uh the heist in of itself you know lives were lost in the process i was a big fan of el casa de papel money heist on netflix um, this hit hit all the same keys in terms of emotional and excitement and uh, just enthralling i'm throwing out all the e-words entertaining <laughs> whatever but <laughs> but this this was amazing um and we also get the the whole political aspect like andy was talking about with the isb and mon mothma and i think the stakes are going to keep building and getting higher but i mean unbelievably gripping and i'm gonna have to give this a 60 Ooh, out of oh, 66 my god the eye what a the I really, I really enjoy, and yeah, and I didn't even talk about cinematics this episode. Oh my the cinematics God. were incredible. The cinematics <laughs> this, were incredible. These three episodes opened my eyes, and I'll end with that. <laughs> Boo! Pun intended. Uh, okay, so now I saved Chris for last because last week you gave us the for the first time in the history of Hoopla, you gave us the highest grading of the week. So I want to see if you can keep that up. Are you gonna Are you gonna beat Jake's? huge score for this week what do you think about this arc i'll start with the number this time around and then explain it i'm giving this arc a 54 it's a two-point improvement oh, okay from my last arc i think the name of the game here is consistency and yeah we've talked about it and everyone talks about it when they review a show oh yeah the first couple episodes oh they had to build it up they had to introduce the characters that wasn't the case with this arc this is the fourth episode of the andor show and no matter if they're doing it in arcs or not we got introduced to a brand new suite of characters in a brand new storyline in a brand new environment that Andor, or rather Clem, has really no business being a part of. 
So the way that they balanced that, I thought was excellent. We got a heist movie out of Star Wars, which I don't think we've really seen before in this fashion, which was excellent. The cultural significance of the planets, both Coruscant and uh, everything that happened with Aldani, and uh, the eye obviously was was huge. And, and we didn't talk too much on it, but the the local residents of the cultural significance of of the migration that the residents make to watch the eye. We kind of glossed over it because truly it's not that much of an important plot device. But when you really sit down and think about it, it is an important plot device as far as Star Wars goes, because the Empire's coming. This is that time of unrest of what's going to happen, who's going to lead this new galaxy. And and we know who it will be eventually, but this was another excellent arc that just showed character stories, character developments on both sides of it in every storyline. And I just really enjoyed it. I can't imagine how it gets better from here, but the name of the game right now is Consistency. 54 out of 66. I really enjoyed this arc, and just slightly better than the last one as well. Beautiful. All right. That's a lot of good scores from from the whole Hoopla Hoopla this week, hoopla. and I'm going to join in with hoopla. my own grade of a 54 out of Order 66. I thought this was an incredible improvement on the first arc. Not that the first arc was bad, but this one was just... Right so exciting from start to finish and they really developed the characters a lot more than they did in the first arc we met a lot of characters back in ferrix but we didn't really get too much detail like we did in episode five of this one where we got to see all the interactions between these different characters and even with watching the show out of order i still loved it a great arc (laughs) (laughs) jamie i do want to i would be amiss if we didn't mention the holocron that was in Luthen's shop in the background Bro. in two of the episodes. Oh. That's going to give me a plus two bonus modifier to my review. Two, oh. two scenes with holocrons. Oh. That's two points. I got a 54 wow. on my review. That's all right. We wow. got a bunch of 54s out here this week. Great wow. second arc. And good catch on the holocrons. I did not notice the holocrons back Two there. holocrons. Two holocrons. Do you know what a holocron looks like yet, Jim? Hey, man, don't ask me that type of question. (laughs) (laughs) I've already been found out so many times this episode. Dodge and weave, baby. Dodge and weave. Leave me alone. I love Star Wars. (laughs) Hoopla. Hoopla. Um, All right. Let's let's end the episode there. Great second arc of the season. As we close out every episode of the Hoopla podcast. We'll throw it to our good friend Andy for the moment of highest hoopla. As Luthen said, so I'm asking you this. Wouldn't you rather give it all once to something real than carve off useless pieces till there's nothing left? <laughs> yeah. I'll just, just have Andy. That's what I'm looking for. That would be so fucking <laughs> annoying. <laughs> it would be horrible to listen to. But it's no, yeah. but welcome everyone crazy. to Holocron Holocron Hoopla. Unlimited power. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I want.